Hi there. Happy Easter. It's great to see you. Hey, I have to start with a question because this is, uh, it's Easter. So this is like the best way to start an Easter message. Um, how many of you like something called Caldo Gallego? Can I ask that? All right. How many of you don't like it? How many of you have no idea what it is? Okay. All right. It, I, wow. People are really excited about not knowing something. Um, now, if you don't know what it is, Caldo Gallego is a, a soup that Cuban moms make to torment their children. And um, just so you know, uh, it's, uh, it's made with collard greens and ham and tastes pretty much like death. And um, I hated it, and it was this constant fight that my mom and I would have about I had to eat it because I had to eat everything that, you know, like and every type of food I had to learn to eat it. So anyway, and the way that it would work is I had my own bowl whenever we had Gado Gallego, which by the way, now that I think about it later, it's like, you give the dog his own bowl. And, uh, anyway, um, so, but I had this special bowl whenever we had Gado Gallego, and it was, uh, it was like a cream-colored bowl that had a, uh, a, like a blue line on the inside, like a decorative blue line. And so what my mom would do is she would fill up this horrific soup up until the blue line, and then I would usually kind of dilly-dally and not want to eat it and this and that. So my mom would say, you've got 30 minutes to drink this soup. And if it's not done in 30 minutes, I fill it back up to the blue line. Which, by the way, sidebar, if you don't like kids, don't have them. Anyway, so, um, <clears throat> so one night, I, it's like, it's Cado Gallego night, and she's been kind of telling me that this is it. So I, uh, uh, she fills it up to the line. You know what this is going to be. And then I start, try, I try to eat it, and I just can't. And then it gets filled back up. And then she says to me, kind of, in, we, we're going on like two hours now. And she's like, Robert, if you don't drink this soup, I'm going to dump it over your head. To which I say to her, Mom, I'm going to spare you the trouble. Bam! And I dumped it over my head. It was like the most freeing moment. I felt like the king of the world until my mom beat me within an inch of my life, like right after. But, man, for those few seconds, it was like we had revolted against the, the man. Anyway, um, uh, but here's the thing. Like, I don't know if you had this kind of thing growing up like I had in my home. But um, maybe you did. In my, in my home, I was always being, I had to learn to eat every kind of food, no matter what, because I was told of this, Im, this imminent food shortage that was coming. Did you, know, you guys have this? You know, there's going to be, una necesidad. You know, that you know, that's, that's what we'd always hear about, is that there was going to be this, this food shortage in, uh, in America, like there was in Cuba, and then you had to learn to eat everything. And I would say to her, like, and I, you know, my thing is, like, you know, if we start running out of food in America, like, really, all that's going to be left is just, like, bowls of Cardo Gallego on the street. That's all there's going to be. And I would say, like, why, why are you so negative? If that's the case, why can't we just hope that there's only Happy Meals left? You know, like, that's what's going to be left. So we'll just eat Happy Meals. And, um, and, and the thing is this, is that my parents would get upset that I liked Happy Meals because they, anything that wasn't Cuban food was not real food. Um, so that was, that was kind of the way it was in our house. And so uh, they would say, I can't believe you even like that food. I, you know, you like Happy Meals. That's not real food. To which even as like an 8, 9, 10-year-old kid, I'd say, hey, start putting your toys in your meals and we'll talk. Next time I'm eating some black beans, slip a deck of cards in there. Spice it up a little bit. And um, now here's what happens. You know, like you're a kid and you want a Happy Meal. 
And then you get a little bit older, and, and what you're hoping for is essentially a happy career, and then you want a happy marriage, and then we want a happy family, and as, all of it really is we want a happy life. And sometimes, if we're being real honest, it eludes us, because, and it's not because we're not willing to pay the price for it, um, and it's not because we don't want it enough. Many times, I believe, we miss it because we're looking in all the wrong places. And so we don't, we look for it, and you know, we look for it with wealth because we're thinking that maybe if I had wealth, that's what would be able to get me the happiness that I really want. But you know, according to studies, I was reading this not that long ago, that according to studies, wealthy people go to therapy like way more than poor people. Like poor people have figured out how to deal with the fact that life isn't fair. Rich people can't handle that. But I can't believe Listen. Bologna sandwiches is all there is. You know what I mean? It's like, when you, you know, anyway, so poor people, they've, they've, we've figured it out. But then sometimes we, we try to find it in stuff, thinking that stuff will make us happy. And I think if we're being honest, stuff can make us happy for like a day or two. You know, you get like a new gadget or toy and it'll make you, it'll make you happy. But the problem is, is that what makes you happy today won't make you happy a year from now. I was talking to a guy the other day. I, 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 so, I learned this principle like two weeks ago. Um, I, I was talking to a guy the other day and then uh, his phone rang. And when his phone rang, he pulled out the original iPhone. And, and you know what my first feeling was when he pulled out the original iPhone was? Pity. I felt so bad for him. I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Your life stinks. I mean, you don't have 4S. That's really where it's at. You got the original. How do you get up in the morning? You know what I mean? It's like you have, you, but, right, we don't say that, but we think it. And... Uh, and because, but the weird part is five years ago, six years ago, and he, if he would have pulled out the original life, we're like, whoa, you're the, call me. I just want to say I called. Like, you remember that when the iPhone first came out? We'd go to the Apple store and call our friends. Dude, I'm calling you from an iPhone. What? You know, at least I did. And anyway, and so we, we would do that stuff. Like my friends, would, they'd, they'd call me like, I'm calling you from my phone. I'm like, what? I hear you so clearly. And then we all got AT&T service. And we're like, that's not ever going to happen again. And, uh, and, and today, but today, the guy's still rocking the same phone. And you're like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. It's that bad. You know? And, and, and so the question then becomes, right, if it's not in stuff and it's not in wealth, I mean, wh- where, is it, where is it that we can find happiness? Because here's the truth. The truth is, is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of us here and we all come from, we all have different backgrounds. We come from different walks of life. We had different family situations. We went to different schools, many of us. Uh, some of us went to college. Some of us didn't go to college. And we, so we had all these different backgrounds. But one thing that, that is common amongst all of us is that all of us want to be happy. And how we define that is different, but all of us want to be happy. And so where is happiness found? So... Gallup, you know, the big pollsters, they're always doing surveys and polls. Uh, They took a survey, and here's what they found. They found that spiritually-minded people are twice as likely to be happy. And that's why, if you take out your notes, I gave you some notes if you want to fill in. I think it makes the experience a little more interactive. But I want you to see what what the, the Bible says. It says, happy is the nation of whom this is true. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So here's the point. The point is that happiness isn't something that you seek. Happiness is the byproduct of something else. 
It's the byproduct of knowing God, of seeking him. And so when we pursue God, when we grow in our faith and we're, we're built up and really understand what God wants us to do, listen, we weren't seeking it, but after a season of time, we look on and we say, how did this happen? I'm happy. But how did this, I wasn't really seeking that, but I found it. So if I can, in the moments that we have, let me set the stage for you. Um, <clears throat> lots of people... <clears throat> When Jesus began his ministry, lots and lots of people started following him, wanted to know, um, you know, what Jesus had to say. He was this very popular rabbi and speaker and the, the, the savior and all this. And so people are, are questioning and wondering, and they, they want to know um, uh, from him. They, they want to hear from him. And so they're following him, and so Jesus finds this, this hill. He sits at the top of the hill. Everybody starts sitting at, towards the, you know, all the way to, to the, the bottom of the hill, and Jesus begins to speak. And Jesus gives probably what is considered his most famous sermon, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. But where the way Jesus begins the sermon is by answering the question that everyone is thinking, and that is, how, do you, how can a person be happy? But he doesn't start with the things that we would think would make everyone happy. He doesn't start with, and he says, you know, if you want to be happy, be rich, beautiful, brilliant, and famous, and that will make you happy. Instead, he begins talking about happiness by giving us these eight contrarian statements about how to be happy. Because sometimes we might think, well, you know, happiness is getting together with your friends and having a great meal together and a great time. But here's what Jesus would say, you're blessed if you hunger and thirst. What's that all about? He would say, you know, sometimes we might think, well, if you're at a fun party and you're, you're having a good time, right, that's happiness. But Jesus would say something very contrarian to that. He would say, you're blessed if you mourn. We would think that we'd be happy if everybody liked us, right? But Jesus says, you're blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. So we're starting a series of teachings today that we're just going to go over the next few weeks that we're calling the Contrarian's Guide to Happiness as we talk about what Jesus had to say about being happy. And we're going to look at just the first of these eight revolutionary statements that Jesus made. But he said this one to open this entire sermon on happiness. He said these words, it's in your notes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know you, but most people, right, most of us think about being rich, that that's what's going to make us happy because nobody writes songs about being poor, that that's what's going to make them happy, right? Gwen Stefani didn't write, you know, if I was a poor girl, no, 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 right? She didn't write that. By the way, I'll have that recording later for you in the back. Um, Now, instead, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, totally contrarian to what we might think. And so what does it mean when he says blessed are the poor in spirit? Well, the first thing that we need to know is that that term blessed um, means Oh, how fortunate is, or literally it could mean, oh, how happy is. Because people in the first century were just like us. They, were th- they wanted to live the good life. They wanted to live the happy life. When they thought about the good life, they thought about l- relaxing and, and, and being on an island. Um, that's kind of this, this, the whole idea that, that they had. A few years ago, my wife and I were on vacation. It was before we had kids, so we were much happier. And... Um, and uh, and, we, I, and I remember I was, you know, we had gone on a cruise, and it was one of those cruises where you go to like Saint, all these Saint places, you know, Saint Thomas and Saint somebody else. And anyway, so we'd gone, you know, gone to all the little Saint islands. And so we, we did that, and I was on one of those islands on the beach, and I'm, I'm reading a book. My wife is next to me. I'm reading a book, and I'm drinking fruit punch out of a coconut. 
Now, I don't really like fruit punch, and I don't like coconuts. But I thought, this is the life. I'm, eating, I'm drinking fruit punch out of a coconut. And I thought, I'm never going back. And the guy even put ice so to keep it nice and cool. And I thought, I'm never going back. As long as this guy keeps serving up the fruit punch, I'm sitting right here. And, and right in the first century, and in, in, in the people that Jesus was speaking to, they had this, there was, um, if you're, I know not everybody's like really up on Middle Eastern uh, geography, but just um, to the west of Israel, Israel is right on uh, what's called the Mediterranean Sea. Just off of Israel, there was an island called Cyprus. And Cyprus had a series of islands underneath it um, that they considered to be paradise. I mean, they just thought that this was like the greatest place to be, the greatest place to vacation and live. And so they actually created this word to describe that island paradise. They called it Macarias. I did not say Macarena because that doesn't make anybody happy because that song is got to be inspired by Satan or something because that's bad stuff. Anyway, uh, you know, because it gets in your head and it's never coming out. Anyway, so don't even think about it. Don't think about that song or you'll think about it all day. And then you're going to be mad at me. You're like, I can't believe you put that song in my head. I did not sing that song. I sang the Gwen Stefani song. So anyway, let's move on because I'm beating a dead horse now. Um, so, they, so this idea of, the, the, of Macarias was, it became more than just uh, the islands off Cyprus. It became more of an idea in that culture of a life that was carefree, without worry, without problems. And in these Beatitudes, these eight statements that are called the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying, I know how you can bottle the island life and take it with you. I know how you can experience Macarius internally every day of your life. It's, experience, it's experiencing this kind of blessing in your life that's not connected to circumstances. So who does he say that's blessed? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, once again, this term poor has really nothing to do with your socioeconomic standing, but it has everything to do, it's poor in spirit, which refers to someone who is, that term in the original language refers to someone who is completely helpless. It refers to someone who can't take care of themselves. So when Jesus says, the blessed are the poor in spirit, oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. It's referring to someone who recognizes their own spiritual poverty, who recognizes their own need for God. That when a person comes to that realization and says, God, I'm spiritually destitute without you, that then God begins to show up and do a work in their lives that they could never do for themselves. Now listen, I know it's Easter, I haven't forgotten, and I know, it's like, well, aren't you supposed to be talking about the resurrection and telling that story, Um, and I'm going to get there, I promise, okay? Um, But I want to show you something else first, because I want to show you something of this idea of being poor in spirit that will actually give us a right response to the Easter message and the story of the resurrection, rather than, oh yeah, I've heard that story before. Um, So I want to take you to ancient Israel, if I can, and I want to read to you a story in the Old Testament Um, that took place a little more than 700 years before Jesus gives this sermon. And it's about a guy named Naaman. Naaman is, uh, there's a country named Syria today. There's a country named Syria, same place, same group of people. Uh, They live just to the east of of Israel, northeast of Israel. And here's what happens. Uh, This guy, Naaman, is the second most powerful person in Syria. There's, outside of the king, he is the most powerful person in this country, But he has a secret, and his secret is that he has leprosy. And in that day and age, leprosy was a death sentence. And so Naaman, he hears. He hears about a prophet named Elisha. 
He hears about the prophet Elisha and how the prophet can actually pray for him. And if the prophet prays for him, that God will heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman goes out. He sets out from Syria to Israel to meet the prophet Elisha. And the story that we're going to see, and this is why I want to show you, is how the poor in spirit are made happy, how the poor in spirit are fortunate, how the poor in spirit actually see God do amazing things in their life that they could never see for themselves. So we're going to begin, it's in 2 Kings chapter 5, so if you have your Bible, you can open there. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, Um, it's just a few verses we're going to read, you can follow along. But here's where we're going to start in verse 9 of 2 Kings 5, and it says this, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's, Elisha's house. And Elisha sent him a message to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, Surely he will come out to me. He will stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God. He'll wave his hand over the place and heal my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And then he turned and went away in a rage. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want to tell you about the poor in spirit. Why they're happy is this. Number one, the poor in spirit see themselves as they really are. They see themselves as they really are because all of us, every single one of us, have this tendency and this propensity in life. We have the tendency to overlook our shortcomings and overemphasize our successes, which gives us an inflated view of self that actually hurts us. And because we don't want anyone to see that we're imperfect, what we try to do is cover up our faults and act like we're doing just great. So I want you to think about this for a moment because Jesus says, blessed, oh, how happy are those who are poor in spirit. Jesus offers no blessing, no assurance of happiness to the person who acts like they're rich in spirit. The person who acts like they have it all together or they're living a close to perfect life. It's the person who's willing to recognize their spiritual poverty and their need for God that experiences the power of God in their life. Because what happens is Naaman shows up to the prophet and he's upset for several reasons but he, the, the prophet is asking him to do something that he doesn't want to do. Notice what he said. I just wanted the prophet to come out and wave his hand. And, you know, do like a little parlor magic trick. You know, wave his hand, take out his wand, whatever, top hat, do his whole thing. And then make my illness, this, this skin thing that I have, make it well with this, this leprosy. But see, instead, the prophet is telling him he's got to do something that he doesn't want to do. He's got to go into the Jordan River and he's got to take off his armor. And he's got to show that he isn't well. You see, this is a guy who has spent his whole life showing how strong he is, how courageous he is. And so he wants now Elisha to come and show him some respect and wave his hand over him. But but Naaman doesn't want to have to ever reveal how sick he really is. And this is the problem. Because you actually don't get help covering things up. And our natural propensity is to cover things up. Uh, I was in a band like a million years ago, and uh, we were on the verge of a record deal, and it was kind of a big thing at the time, but um, I remember I was um, still in high school at the time. Now, I do have to tell you this, that um, it's kind of weird to be in a pretty popular band and still be in high school, um, but I was on the five-year plan in high school, 
So when I talk about being a senior, it was the best two years of my life, okay? So, all right. So we were playing this show and, um, there at, at this club that's here in South Florida. And um, they, they had this drum riser. I'm sitting on the drum riser. I jump off the drum riser at the show. And as I'm coming down, my guitar kind of gets stuck and it starts coming up. So as I come down, the guitar comes up, and the guitar and my head meet together, and it just smashes me in the, in the face. Um, and so I wake up the next, I mean, I, finished, I didn't like pass out or anything, but I, I get home, I wake up the next morning for school, and I have this huge black eye. I've only had one black eye in my life, and I gave it to myself, all right? And so now I'm, I have to go to school, and I'm like, do I want to explain this? Because this has got to be the most idiotic thing anyone has ever done. Dude, you got a black eye. Yes, I gave it to myself. You know what I mean? Just not the best thing, especially when you're, you know, in high school and you're still trying to fit in and all that. So I go into my mom's um, bathroom and I find this stuff that she has called cover-up, right? Now, you know where this is going, all right? So I, and, and by the way, I'm not, you know, you might say you don't really look like much of a makeup expert, Okay. I don't have a part-time job at Sephora when I'm not here, okay? So anyway, I, uh, so I take a bunch of this cover-up, and I just goop it all over my eye, and I'm like, hey, it looks like skin. You know what I mean? Let's go. So I goop the stuff on, and I go to school. And uh, so I walk into my first period class, and I'm getting weird looks. And you got to understand, at the time, I had a mohawk. I know today I have the reverse, but I used to have a mohawk. And uh, so... I walk in, and I'm used to getting kind of weird looks just because of the mohawk. But anyway, so I sit down, and then the guy uh, that's in front of me turns around, and he says, I only want to know two things. Number one, how'd you get the black eye? Number two, why are you wearing makeup? And, uh, and I had to tell him the truth. I said, do you want to know the truth? He said, yeah. I said, someone tried to break into my house last night, and I killed him with my bare hands. So turn around before something bad happens to you. So now, but here's the thing, like all of us, we have this propensity. We all have this thing where our immediate reaction is not to say, hey, I I messed up. Our immediate reaction is to cover things up. But it's only when Naaman is willing to uncover his need and expose his weakness and show, hey, guess what? I'm poor in spirit that he experiences God's power in his life. Look at verse 13 if you're following with us. It says this, and his, so he turns away in a rage. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to show you uh, about the poor in spirit. Number two, the poor in spirit ask for help. Here's the reason why Naaman is so upset is because the prophet is asking him to do something so simple. The prophet says, go into the Jordan, the river there, wash, and you'll be fine. Basically saying, go take a shower, and it's all good. And this is the thing that upsets him, and, and this is why he's so, he gets so angry. But really, the, the challenge that Elijah is giving Naaman is this. Are you humble enough to do something simple that will make you well? You know, Naaman talks, I've got better rivers back in Syria, and they haven't helped me. And he's starting to think that the issue is about water. It has nothing to do with water. The issue is it's an issue of the heart. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize their need for God. Listen, those are the ones that that are happy. Not the ones who are rich in spirit, self-sufficient. You know why? Because no one is rich in spirit, no one is self-sufficient. 
And so don't think that, well, the poor in spirit of this select group of people. We're all of us. Every single one of us in this room are poor in spirit. It's just a matter of if we will recognize that we're poor in spirit or not. And the re- listen, the reason that the poor in spirit are happy is because they aren't hiding anymore. They aren't weighted down by all the armor trying to hide their weaknesses. Now, I have to tell you a story that is slightly disgusting. All right? I hope it's okay. Um, but it, it's about 10 years ago, um, I got this ingrown toenail, right? They say, I'm so glad I woke up for Easter service to hear about that. I promise it's going somewhere. So I get this ingrown toenail. I, in the first service, I said, <laughs> in the first service, I said, I don't know if you've ever gotten an ingrown toenail. A whole bunch of people raise their hands. They're like, woo! Like, they were really excited about that. And I, so anyway, we're forming a club. Uh, anyway, no, and, uh, but they really did get excited about it. But here's what happens is that um, I, I had this ingrown toenail and my big toe swelled up to almost the size of my fist. Uh, I mean, I was limping everywhere. And my wife would tell me, um, you know, Bob, go to the doctor. And I'm like, no, it's okay. And then, um, you know, I, I was saying this, th- those of us that are the, the first service, the, the uh, ingrown toe club, um, they all agreed, like they all did this too, is that what happens is when you have one of those, what you try to do is you go, you go like to the bathroom and you try to like rip the nail out yourself I told you it was disgusting. I warned you. Anyway, so what you try to do is rip the nail out yourself. So you try to clip it and go, ah! and you do one of those. And uh, I speak the truth, my friends. And uh, so you do one of those things thinking that it's, it's the most excruciating pain you've ever been in your life. And the problem is it doesn't make it better. It just makes it bloody and nasty. And then it's like, and it, anyway, I'll stop there. And uh, so anyway, so this is, and by the way, this isn't like after a couple days. This is like two weeks later. I finally say to my wife, okay. I'll go see a doctor. So I, I, I look it up, and, and I go see the doctor, and um, he, I sit down, and he goes, he takes one look at my toe, and he goes, oh, looks like somebody's been doing some bathroom surgery. And, uh, like, I've never seen anyone more excited about a nasty toe situation in my life. And, uh, and he said, it didn't work out, did it? And I'm like, dude, I'm here. If it had worked out, I'd be home. And uh, so, anyway, and he said, he, he, I said, no, it didn't work out, and and he goes, you know, that's the problem with bathroom surgery is that it's twice as painful and it doesn't fix the problem. Now, I tell you that because, listen, most of us, a lot of us, many of us, this is how we live our lives. We're doing bathroom surgery. We're saying, I'm going to fix it. I can make it better. I'm going to do better this time. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And so I'm going to clean up. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to turn things around. Watch me. Here we go. And we start doing this, right? doing surgery on our own lives, thinking that happiness is just around the bend. If I can just change this one thing, because I can do it, I'm self-sufficient, I can get there, I change this one thing, happiness is there, and, it's, and then we try it and it's not there, and we get frustrated. And here's how it works. You experience some pain in your life, and you know what takes place is that you start going back to some of the old habits that you didn't want to go back to. And so you, maybe you said, you know what, I'm done with drinking, Drinking has taken a season of my life. It's maybe hurt my family and my children. I'm not going to it. And then you experience some pain, some setback, some disappointment in your life, and you end up going back to it. You say, man, I thought I, was, I thought I was better than that. I thought I didn't have to go to that. A relationship goes down the tubes, and then you're, before you know it, you're back out there trying to find somebody else before we figure out why the whole thing blew up in the first place. 
And see, the things, things somehow don't go our way and we try to find something that will numb the pain. The wisdom of Jesus is this. The contrarian's guide to happiness is this. Those who recognize their own spiritual poverty are blessed because they see their need for God. And once they see their need for God, they call out to him and he works in their lives in ways they never dreamed of. Now let me tell you how the, show you how the story ends in verse 14. Here's what happens. Look, last part. It says, so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the sayings of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing I want to tell you about the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit experience God's power. They experienced God's power that Naaman humbled himself and did as Elijah told him. And what was the end result? The end result was that he was, his skin was like that of a little child, it says. Now, I don't care how much oil of Olay Naaman was using beforehand. Listen, once that, once he went out of the water, he was made well, his skin was even better than it was before. And the point is this. That God has the ability to take a bad situation, turn it around, and make it infinitely better than we ever thought it could be ourselves. My friends, that's what Easter is all about. You see, we celebrate on Easter the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died because every single one of us are sinners. Every single one of us have fallen short of God's standard. That Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life. He died a horrific death on the cross. He was buried on Friday, and everyone thought it was game over. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was alive, proving that he was God, and invites every person to experience salvation, forgiveness, and grace through his sacrifice. My friends, Jesus came and died so that everyone who's poor in spirit can be saved from their sins and have everlasting life through him. You see, not just that, but God wants to work in your life like he did in Naaman's life. See, maybe you're, you're like Naaman. Maybe you have the wealth and the power and the prestige and all that comes with those things, but truth be told, if you were honest, you'd say that it's a little empty. And can I tell you this, that that's by design? that we were created by God in such a way and designed by God in such a way so that nothing besides a relationship with him would satisfy us? Maybe you're a little different than Naaman and it's not that you have all of those things, but maybe you've desired those things thinking that those are the things that are gonna bring happiness and purpose and meaning and fulfillment in your life. And guess what? It hasn't. And can I tell you that it's not because you haven't wanted it enough. It's not because you haven't tried hard enough. It's because those things can't bring what only God can bring. They can't offer only what God offers because we were created by God and designed by God so that nothing else satisfies outside of a relationship with Him. See, maybe you're here this morning and life hasn't turned out the way that you hoped. See, maybe you're, maybe you're like Naaman and you've got something terrible that's happened. And it's 
these things, that, these horrible things, these bad things, these setbacks, these disappointments, these hurts, um, these hang-ups, all these things. These are all the things that got you to actually come here today. Can I tell you this, what we learned from Naaman's life? Naaman would never have come to know God unless something had happened in his life that would have caused him to go and seek the prophet. And my friends, in the same way, God will use anything and everything in our lives to draw us to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you know the Lord. Maybe you've been a Christian for, you you became a Christian a long time ago and and yet you've kind of drifted from that. You've backslidden from, from what you know. You've walked away from God. And, and can I tell you this, that maybe someone invited you and there was this thing in your heart and you're like, oh, I know I should go. I know that God wants to meet me there, but oh man, I know where I've been. Maybe you got a postcard in the mail and you're like, oh, I know I should go, but I know where I've been. And yet you made it here and I applaud you for that. I do. But there's, there's this hesitation um, to say, yeah, I, I want... I, I need to come back to God. I want God to be part of my life. Um, but truth be told, I, I know better. And I walked away. Can I tell you this? That this may be exactly what God wants you to hear in this very moment. That God wants you to know that his arms are wide open to receive you. The question is, are you poor in spirit? Will you recognize that? Will you come to him in humility, realizing, God, I've messed up and I can't figure it out without you? Maybe you're a little bit like me. Um, I grew up in, I, without a, like a, I didn't really have any church background at all growing up. The only background I had in church was my parents sent me to a parochial school that was um, a fairly good school. And so I learned a few things about the Bible. Um, so I knew some facts about God but I had no idea who God is, who God was. And I remember it was my older brother and I was sitting with him in his kitchen. This is now, um, next month will be 20 years that we have this conversation. And as we were having this conversation, he said to me, um, he, he shared the gospel with me that Jesus died for me, that Jesus was buried, that he rose again, proving that he was God and inviting me to be forgiven of all of my sins, past, present, and future. And I, and I stopped and said, well, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm, I know God. You know, I went to parochial school. I know some things about God. And I just started rattling off everything I knew about God. And he just listened. And he said, um, you know some things about God, but you don't know God. You've never experienced the forgiveness of God in your life. You've never experienced um, the, the peace of God, the grace of God. You don't know what it's like to walk with God. So while you know things about him, you don't know him. And he said, and he said, Bob, I want you to know that God really loves you. He sent his son to die for you because he loves you that much to prove his love for you. See, maybe you're here and you're like me. You've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never invited Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you, to set your feet on on a new path, to turn your life around, to just transform your life, to take you from one way that you were going and turn you around and do something else in your life, to forgive you, to give you the promise of heaven when you die, but even more so, to give you the promise of his peace and his presence in your life right now. 
So in a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to challenge many of you to make a decision to follow Jesus, the same decision that I made now almost 20 years ago. Because Easter is about Jesus rising from the dead so that the poor in spirit could experience the riches of God's grace. To invite Jesus to forgive you, to give you the gift of eternal life and his presence right now. Listen, this is your Naaman moment. This is the moment where you can say, here, I'm going to take off the armor. I'm going to break down the wall. The things that I've shown that, oh, everything's okay and, and realize that maybe everything isn't okay. And that maybe now is my moment to experience God in my life in a way that I've never experienced before, to be forgiven by God in a way that I've never experienced before because of what Easter does, that Easter is the game changer, that Jesus Christ is not dead, he is alive, that he left an empty tomb to fill empty hearts and give them the gift of eternal life, to give them peace, to give them hope. My friends, this is our moment. Let's pray. And God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for Easter and what it is that, we rep- that it represents the day that your son rose from the dead. God, this isn't something ceremonial. It's something real that really did happen. And God, maybe today, for many of us, it would be a resurrection where we go from death to life, where we experience your love in a way that we never thought, your forgiveness in a way that we never could, your grace in a way that we never knew. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we're praying together, um, I wonder if there's many of us in this room that would say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Bob, I'm gonna ask that you pray for me because I wanna invite Jesus into my life. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna ask you to simply raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I see some hands in the back there. God bless you. I see hands on the side. I see all the way in the back. Blessings to you. Hands in the, in the center here. God bless you. Hands all over this room. All the way on the left-hand side. God bless you. There in the center towards the back, I see your hands there. God bless you. There in the aisle ways, I see your hands there as well. God bless you. If you say, today is my name and moment. Today's the day I'm going to take off the armor and show God that I'm poor in spirit and I'm hopeless without him, that I need him in my life. I want him to forgive me. Anyone else, I ask to simply raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I see more hands in the back there. God bless you. More hands on the other side. God bless you. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for every hand that's raised because it represents a life. And Lord, my prayer for them is that they would experience your love, experience your forgiveness and grace in a way that they've never experienced before. That your son Jesus would be so real to them as he transforms their life by the power of the Holy Spirit. That God, this would be the day that they always remember is the day that they encountered you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, um, If you read the the scriptures, one of the things that you'll find is that everyone that Jesus called, he called publicly. 
and that actually there were no secret disciples. There were no secret followers of Jesus, that everyone that he called, he, they actually literally in the middle of what they were doing, they dropped what they were doing and they started walking and following him. That there was, that it was their name and moment where they had to take off the armor and show, hey, I've, I've got a problem. I've got a problem that only God can do a work. And so in a moment, the band's going to play. And those of you that uh, raised your hand that I prayed for, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to come forward in just a moment to the very the bottom of this stage. And many in this room are going to come forward to the, to, to the, to the stage, and we're going to pray together. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The same prayer my brother led me in almost 20 years ago. My friends, it's not a magic formula. But simply, I believe that the words would express what your heart wants to say to God that this is the moment to take a step, to take a stand, to say, this is my day, that the poor in spirit rise up and say, God, we need you. We're lost without you. I want to experience God's forgiveness and grace, his mercy and peace today, today. The band's gonna play. I'm gonna invite you to come forward. So if you wanna make a decision to follow Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to stand up, come forward right now. Band's gonna play. And I am desperate for your touch, a glimpse of heaven, glory of your son. And in a moment you can turn my life around Forever to be found in you And I am reaching out to find There's nothing greater than your love that holds my life your grace and mercy that have saved me by your blood and swept away my shame, oh Lord. Your love is like a fire that burns for all to see. My only desire Worship at your feet So let this fire Consume my life Let your love take me deeper Draw me closer to where you are All I want is more I'm surrendered to your love Forever humbled by the message of the cross Your grace and mercy that saved me by your blood And swept away my shame, oh God Your love is like fire that burns for all to see 
my only desire to worship at your feet. So let this fire consume my life. Let your love take me deeper. Draw me closer to where you are. So Bible says this. It says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I remember the day that my brother prayed with me to invite Jesus Christ to come into my life. I had all the excuses and all the hang-ups before I finally said, okay, okay. And I'm going to pray with these that have come forward in just a moment. But listen, I, I, I just, I hesitate because maybe there's one or two or three people that are, that are waiting. You're still sitting in the seat. And you're just saying, boy, I just, I know God's doing something and I'm just hoping this can be over. And I can just maybe let that feeling of what God is doing just kind of fade away. Can I share something with you? I mean, is that, is that God that's keeping you in the seat? That's someone else, something else. My friends, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it because you just, well, I don't know, and I, I have questions and all that. Great. You can still have questions and invite Jesus to come into your life. You can still have questions and, and ask him to forgive you. And guess what? He's the great teacher that's going to teach it and answer your questions. So I want to give you just a moment. If you say, Pastor, don't pray yet. Don't pray yet. Wait for me. I want to invite you to come forward now. Now's your moment. together. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you're willing to change a life that none of us is insignificant to you, that all of us have value and meaning and purpose. Thank you that you're not done with any of us, but instead you just reach out and and wait. Now is now the moment, is now the time. God, for these that have come forward, this is the moment. This is the time. So I pray, God, that as they pray, that you would hear from heaven, that you would work in their lives, change their lives, transform their lives, and make them like you, like your son. That, God, you are still in the business of saving people. Those of you that have come forward, if you're ready, I want to lead you in this prayer. Just repeat after me, praying out loud. Just say, Lord God, I open my heart and I invite you inside to be my God, to be my Savior, and to be my friend. 
forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I've decided today to follow you, Jesus. From this day, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Hey, um, some of you guys, Steve, will you just wave your hand there? Steve is one of our leaders. Hey, listen, we, um, you've made the most important decision you're ever going to make in your life right now, right here. But what we want to do is really help you in that. And there's actually a Bible that we want to give you. This is our Easter gift to you. So um, if you came forward with, with one of your friends, hey, go with them. And uh, so Steve will show you the way and uh, you'll be back with your friends and family in just a moment. We want to give you this Bible to really help you take your first few steps in your walk with God. So if you'll go over in, uh, in Steve's direction, we'll encourage you all along the way. Blessings to you. Yeah. Hey, can I tell you guys this? Um, some of you have been praying for a really long time for these guys. And so on behalf of them, can I tell you this? Thank you. You've been praying for these guys. And I know that there are some folks you'd say, no, I, ne- I didn't think they would ever decide to follow Jesus. I didn't, I, you know what? We got to keep on praying. Listen, this is a spiritual deal. This is a thing that God is doing. And we just need to be faithful to keep praying for people, keep loving people. And you know what's going to happen? We keep seeing this happen every single week. People that we love and care about and know or just meet at random, they're making decisions to follow Jesus and God is changing their life. And so for that, we're grateful. I'm grateful to you for just continuing to pray and invite and pray and invite and loving on people sometimes when it's not easy to love and it's not easy to be faithful. And you, sometimes you're like, oh, I just don't know if I want to keep praying. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And in the right time, the door opens, the Bible says. So my friends, Pastor John is here. He's going to share one thing with you. We're going to receive our offering this morning. But more than anything, as your pastor, can I tell you this? I'm so proud of you. How you just, um, just over and over, people, I'm praying. I'm praying. I believe in God for big things. And we're seeing God do amazing things. So for that, um, we thank the Lord. I thank you for uh, us partnering together with the Spirit of God to do amazing things on his behalf. So my friends, happy Easter. God bless you.